It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. Braley has his own idea of how things are going to work. He's been a successful businessman for years. He's helped support the CFL for a long time, but I don't know if that necessarily means he's right in everything he says, right? Can the CFL play without fans in the stands? Sure. Is it going to require some change in how they do things? Absolutely. The CFL and the CFLPA are at the negotiation table, and that is a good thing. It is. It's nice to see finally. Uh, the only concern I would have at this point is, is how much time does it take to work through the issues of the collective bargaining that need to change in order to have the league continue? I guess time is a, a huge thing to consider. The uh, question in my mind is how much and how far apart do they have to uh, consider? In other words, um, let's say it's salary. Well, that's right. Uh, the CFL has promoted the idea that it's probably going to be prorated for 2020 because you're only playing potentially eight, maybe six games. You don't get full salary for doing half work. Mm -hmm. So how far apart are they on that, and how long would it take to calculate that if the PA said, yeah, I guess you got a point there, or if they want to balk and say, no, we want minimum nine as a base salary. That's right. Uh, I mean, it's going to take some time, obviously, to come to the idea of salary is, is one of the big things. But I mean, the last collective bargaining, I read, uh, I think Dan Barnes in, in Edmonton wrote that it took over 250 hours to work through the CBA previously. Now you're trying to compress that in between early July till the 23rd, you're less than three weeks. It's going to be a lot of talks around salary as a primary issue, but certainly there's all kinds of other issues that they're going to have to discuss and come to resolution on between the CFL and CFLPA in order to go forward and meet that July 23rd deadline. But how much do they have to renegotiate? Because when you do a CBA, typically you run through everything. If they're just looking to amend what's there and then move forward for a period of time beyond, Mm -hmm. then if it's only a third of the contract or a, a quarter, you don't have to spend 250 hours like you did with the previous negotiation to get through it all. And I think the option is there. The timeline is tight. There's no doubt about it. It's very rare that negotiations on any level mm -hmm. go that fast. But having said that, there must be a belief system that says, that there is time available if we use it wisely. There's not that much ground that we need to cover. We just have to be prompt and efficient throughout this entire process. Absolutely. And, and, and I think from my understanding, the CFLPA put out their memo that identifies the, you know, the, the, of course, they've got to have a return to play protocol that's acceptable to government health authorities. Their acceptable level of federal government financial support, which we'll get to later. But also that, that whole idea of the, it's not just for 2020, it's 2021 and beyond is what they're looking at. So, I mean, if I think some of those things, if you talk beyond, may have to wait and you have to say, okay, for 2020, here's what we are agreeing to. And beyond that, we'll have some more time to take a look at some of these issues that are going to extend beyond here because extended practice rosters are on, on the table is what I understand, prorated salaries and then the shortened training count. With 
those three things are going to take some discussion, be they part of the collective bargaining agreement or not. Now they're certainly part of your practice rosters defined, but you're going to have to change those things if you're going to expand them for this prorated season. If you expand practice rosters, do you have to look at maybe better compensation for the players on those practice rosters? Because I think the expectations will be far greater Mm -hmm. in a shortened season that you're going to be playing. So you're probably going to have to spend more time with the team, know the playbook, know what your assignments are. So maybe they have to be compensated a little bit more. Someone else also, uh, and I think maybe I read it on Twitter, someone was talking about, uh, you know, giving a bit of danger paper say because I mean here you're taking players away from their families and and now away from the cities in which they've established themselves as well if you're looking at a hub model so you move them let's say to Winnipeg and you've got all the players in one area without their families they're they're now stuck there if you will with only their team right and and the interactions of the CFL personnel like of course at the stadiums as they practice but it's, it's a little different than before because they're not with their families. They're, they're isolated. So is there some extra pay for that? You know, I, I said danger pay, but maybe it's an isolation pay or a willingness to be relocated pay that's going to come not only for those expanded practice roster, but also for all the players. Because, I, I mean, if I'm a head coach in the CFL, I'm going to go to my veterans in a shortened, truncated season which maybe is the reason for having that practice roster. That's where you keep some of those rookies that may have played if you'd had a longer preseason and and the ability to take a look. But as it stands, you don't have time to teach a lot of the intricacies of the CFL to people right off the get-go to be started in a few weeks. It's true that the the timelines don't uh, allow for very much in the way of that instruction. I don't know that you need isolation pay because... Think of it this way. When the regular season is going on and the Americans are coming up here, how many of them bring their families with them? Not many. So this wouldn't be anything different than what they're used to anyway. The difference in the context of COVID is, of course, what you do on your own time. Mm -hmm. You don't have those restrictions, or at least you have minimal restrictions with the normal CBA. But now with a 2020 contract There may be more restrictions, sanctions that are applied because Health Canada says this is all you can do. And maybe the teams say, look, we even need more certainty that nobody's going to jeopardize the rest of the roster. That's an excellent point, Don. I guess at the end of the, like, whether you, like, isolation pay, maybe not, but the restrictions are limiting for the players that come north and uh, the players that move to Winnipeg from across Canada as well. If I'm a player and I'm somewhat wary of COVID to begin with, and I maybe don't want to come up, because I I think we've seen that happen in Major League Baseball and other places where players have said, I am not going to come. You have to make it worth their while. And and certainly the finances are part of it, yes. But if you're only looking at six weeks plus the playoffs and one team doesn't make the playoffs, you're giving up potentially a lot from being away from your family having those restrictions that you talked about being placed on you as an individual, where can you go? Who can you see? How do you interact with people? Um, For me, if I'm a player, I I would have to weigh that very carefully to determine whether or not I want to make that commitment for this year. Well, think of it this way. In the time period that we've been locked down in Canada, it's roughly the same time period that the CFL would be playing in the fall. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So has it been that unbearable to live our lives? But, but even living our lives, Don, you and I as regular people still have some ability to move around, right? So you, you've gone to the store, or at least someone in the family has gone to the store, you've done those things. If the team is being totally taken care of, you're going to be stuck, and think of this, in a hotel room. You know, what did, what did they say? Dan Barnes was talking something like 80,000 days or what they're looking at in a hotel room. Well, how fun would that be? Because I don't imagine that players would necessarily be let go out to movies or to buy food or to do those things. It's probably going to be brought to them from the team and they'll have a process to get it would be my thought. I know I could be right off base there, but it's pretty limiting. I think a hundred days in a hotel room, I would have been a bit more frustrated, I think. Well, I think if you're really restricted and yes, that time in a hotel room, but if they're looking at Winnipeg, the University of Manitoba is literally right outside the stadium. Those dorms have got to be available. Mm-hmm. You would have common areas for each team to maybe play games. I don't know if they'll be that restricted that they can't go out to do anything, but they're just going to have to clearly follow protocol, mask up, wash up, stay two meters away. Don't do anything stupid that would jeopardize the whole team. If you think back to Huey Campbell and when he had the five Grey Cup run with the Eskimos, Mm -hmm. the only real rule that he had was don't do anything that would cause trouble in the eyes of the team. And if you think of that sort of rule at this point, it's sort of the same thing. You don't want to bring an infection back to your teammates and certainly not to your coaching staff. You just have to have your wits about you. Now, I know there are going to be some 20-year-olds that are going to be excited to be in a new center and want to explore it, but they're just going to have to have some veteran leadership to say, hey, slow down. You're here for a job. You can party after the season's over if you want and if you can, but right here, right now, we've got something other that we have to focus upon. I like that idea, Don. I think you know veteran leadership is absolutely crucial to this. But but I do, even your veterans are are not that old in the CFL in many cases, right? So uh, what we've seen in the United States or other countries around the world is is it tends to spread through youth. So you're right. I think they want to get out. They want to interact. They're social beings, right? That restriction I think would be tough on on the young men that play the game, and. Uh, Because of that, I think there's going to be some people that are going to probably break some protocol at some point in time. Now, the question remains is how will the CBA or the teams deal with people who do that? Right now, if we're looking at Manitoba and Winnipeg as being the base, 325 cases in a province is is extremely impressive. They have been one of the best provinces that has a CFL team. And to me, it makes perfect sense. You're going to have you know, nine teams of uh, how many players, Don, you put the expanded roster, maybe 60. That That's an awful lot of young men that are going to want some sort of outlet beyond the two hours they might spend on a practice field in the course of a day. That's going to be a lot of boredom, a lot of playing video games and, and repeating those things. I don't think they can't do it, but I think there has to be some remuneration for the ability to be restricted in that sense. And, uh, you know, that certainly is going to be part of what the negotiations would include, I would think, at this point in time. I think it's doable. What about people that 
work in a submarine? What about people who work on oil rigs? What about people mm-hmm. that are called to northern fires and have to stay there for weeks at a time? This is not unreasonable. The ask is pretty high. So, yes, I agree with you. I think there is going to be some pent-up energy for people to want to do things. But the NFL has looked at it this way. They've said that you're going to have a personal services contract with respect to COVID as well. And if you do anything that violates that contract, there are going to be penalties. Mm -hmm. And they haven't finished that negotiation, but they're certainly tossing out the idea that we're not taking this lightly. This is something that you have to be cognizant of from the moment you wake up to the moment you go back to sleep. Well, I think some of those questions that you posed, Don, are, are what the CBA and the negotiations are going to have to, to, to look at. The, the first player that does break a rule or that, that uh, you know, moves across a border or does something to put the team and the personnel that are all committing to, to, to take this step in somewhat of a, a jeopardy because of the possibility of COVID, of course, um, you know, what what is the league's mandate to penalize players or, or you know, at the, at the worst case, you cut people who are doing that? Can, can the CFL, in the three weeks that they have to negotiate, do that? Well, I think it's totally doable because you can look at the universe in which we live where Health Canada has the documentation that's available to you to follow. So if you're going to look at this as a possibility, you do have documentation, you do have leadership that's available to you to guide you in this process. I don't think that's the big problem. Let's say the vaccine comes out in January. It's going to take time to inoculate everybody. Probably by the time next year's training camps roll through, COVID is still going to be around. It's just going to be in a mitigated form. The CFL is probably thinking is that if we can sign a deal this year, maybe the sanctions won't be as severe in 2021, but we still have to have some sort of protocols in place to make sure that we can get through a regular season in 2021, given that COVID is still lingering in the background. Absolutely, Don. That's uh, going to be a decision that will be interesting to see what comes of this in the next three weeks. And, and where do we end up uh, between the CFLPA and the CFL? Where do they end up coming to find that this is where we're going to hold for the 2020 and, and beyond, as you say? Second down. CFL expert? We're about to find out. It's trivia time. And with those dulcet tones, we now turn our attention to trivia. Woo! I hope that excitement means that you're going to get three out of four this week. I, I hope so too. I'm thinking the audience wants that for you. Here we go. Everybody get their uh, buzzers ready. Question one Which of the following Eskimos quarterbacks did not? operative word not, also play for both Toronto and BC. A. Bruce Lemmerman. B. Matt Dunnigan. C. Tom Wilkinson. D. Jackie Parker. And this did not play for both of them. I'm going to go with Tom Wilkinson C. 
All right. The answer is A. Tom Wilkinson started with the Argonauts, went to the Lions, got cut by them, and wound up with the Eskimos and had his great career there. Mm-hmm. Wow. I did not know. Hmm. Well, I, I got to get the rest. And I can just feel this rush from the audience cheering for you, so I... <laughs> well, I hope so. Question two. This, this one's a tricky one. In 1959, the Saskatchewan Roughriders finished with just one official win. The team had won three games that season, but two wins were forfeited because A. Saskatchewan had used an ineligible football and offense. B. The Roughriders failed to pay the final installment on their CFL fees. C. Regina fans entered the playing field before each game could end. D. Saskatchewan had used ineligible players. I'm going to go with D. Ineligible players. Why is that? Because the others don't seem to make sense to me. You are correct. Saskatchewan had too many imports, Americans, and as a result they forfeited the final two victories of the season. Hmm. How many were they allowed that time? Do you know, Don? I think... The number five seems to stick out in my head. It might be seven, but I think it was five at the time. I imagine that GM wasn't a popular person after they had to forfeit. (laughs) (laughs) One in 15 season, I think, would cause a lot of concern as well. I guess at that point you give up and put your best players on and try to win a few more games. I think that's probably what they were thinking. The season is lost anyway. Why don't we just go out and win and see what happens? (laughs) Not unlike uh, what Chris Jones went through with the Rough Riders a few years ago where he got threatened with a forfeit for using too many or not enough uh, Canadian nationals on the field at the time. Of course, it was just a mix-up because injuries were coming fast and furious. and, And sometimes in the rush of the game, you get caught by what you need to do. Question three. Which lineman scored in his rookie season, but never scored another in 150 games? A. Miles Gorell. B. Grover Covington. C. Brian Chu. D. Chris Walby. All all icons. Yes, they are. 150 games, 10 seasons. I'm going to go with Brian Chu, Montreal. That is C. C. The answer is D. Chris Walby. Oh, okay. On a punt cover, Walby, wearing number 80 at the time, pounced on a fumble in the Montreal end zone and scored his only touchdown in his rookie season. <laughs> that would have been fun to see. I wonder how the football was. <laughs> he was excited, I can tell you that much. I have seen the video of this. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he would be. <laughs> I'd like to see that. It's on uh, YouTube? Probably, yes. Or maybe search Twitter and you might be able to find it there. I can't remember where I saw it. but uh, I may have to search that when we're done here. It's uh, it's pretty cool. To see him in a different number is really weird too. But yeah, a punt fumbled in the end zone and guess who was Johnny on the spot. So, hmm. yeah. And the fact that he was wearing 80, he was a defensive lineman at that time. Here's a question. Did all the other linemen you mentioned score a touchdown? Though? Don't have a clue. 
Okay. <laughs> it was just a made-up. <laughs> just pick a name. I would lean towards Grover Covington because he was a defensive lineman. Yeah, well, I knew he was defense, and I thought, okay, that's probably not the case. And then it was a guess on the other guys. So it was a question, were you a part of the offense at some point as an eligible receiver? On, of, of those guys, I thought Walby's probably the, the least likely to be the guy that released downfield, but <laughs> I guess I was wrong. Punt coverage, he must have been really trucking. Well, I'll give credit to Snack Bites Pete for coming up with that one. Great one. And question four. Hall of Fame QB Damon Allen has the most rushing career yards by a quarterback, but who has the single season record? A. Kerry Joseph, B. Ricky Foggy, C. Doug Flutie, or D. Tracy Ham. Mm, all good runners. Foggy, I will not choose. A was. Can you repeat A? Kerry Joseph. Kerry Joseph. No, I don't think so. I think it's got to be Tracy Ham. Was that D? Tracy Ham. That is. That is D. Yep. And the correct answer is D, Tracy Ham. In 1990, with Edmonton, Ham rushed for 1,086 yards, which is the quarterback rushing record wow. for a season. That's an extra running back in the backfield there. Two out of four. Well, that's better than last week. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> Makes you 11 of 28 overall. Which isn't so bad. These are tough questions, I think. You know, they're, 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 they're all good possibilities. So hats off to you and the people who are passing on those questions. There's some good ones here. Superfan Mike and Snack Bites Pete have been great help. Well done, guys. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Third down. The other thing that's being discussed is of course Braley wants his team to play in his park. Ottawa has hinted that that would be nice if they could play it at uh, TD Place. They've actually uh, redone the turf there. Put a 2016 <laughs> <laughs> going in the uh, turf, yeah. which was a pretty smart idea. Yep. Teams are prepping their stadiums as if they want their teams to play there. Brandon Banks has said he wants to play in Hamilton this year. Yeah, and 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 I, I don't think that's out of the question that teams could play in their own parks. The only issue is is are the provinces themselves going to allow interprovincial travel? Because at this point they haven't, right? Or at least Saskatchewan, where we are, are saying, for example, for the uh, Prairie Junior Football League, they're not allowed to travel across to Winnipeg and back. Manitoba has a restriction on. So I mean, there are some restrictions between. Uh, provinces for sports at this point in time based on those health and it, it's for sports i know there's travel for other reasons for essential travel that has to continue it's allowed but for sports the governments have at this point said not out of province now whether that changes or not i guess remains to be seen 
Well, I think you can huddle a team together and keep them separate from everybody else and send them to whatever stadium they need to be. The other thing, too, think of it this way, especially if you have the East play within the East and the West play within the West. You could probably fly in the morning of game day, prep, get to the park, play the game, and then leave right after. You may not have to stay in a hotel. And this could be another uh, negotiation point for the PA and the CFL is, do we need to stay over the night before? That that was a given in the, in the previous world. But under COVID, maybe we just cut down more risk by just sticking together, going right to the game, coming back out. Yeah, back on the bus kind of thing, right? As soon as we're done, back on the bus and back to where he came from. And I, you know, from a player standpoint, I think that they would want that. I, Brandon Banks is right. If you live in Hamilton, your life is in Hamilton, you're still connected to people you care about when you are in that city. To move everyone away from the cities that they've become accustomed to, the veterans at any rate, to Winnipeg would be, uh, as we said before, a big ask. So... I guess that remains to be seen. Uh, is that up for negotiation? Is it part of what the players are able to push the league on, or is the league and, and the safety protocol such that it, the hub city is the best option? Well, is the hub city the best option? Because look at Florida right now. The NBA, the, the Major League of Soccer, are looking at playing in Florida as a hub. And Florida right now, their cases are going right through the roof. Well, I think there's, Literally. The, there's the difference between a Winnipeg, Manitoba that has, you know, not announced any cases in the past few days, as I understand it, uh, in Manitoba and only 325 in total. That's a huge variance between what we see happening in Florida and some of the other large centers that may be hosting some of the other major leagues. But there's the question that I have. If the hub is having trouble, then you may as well spread out across the nine centers because are you any further ahead, especially in the NBA's case? But let's just pretend, hypothetically, that something happens in Winnipeg and they have a, a bubble burst and suddenly there are a lot of cases and CFL has already pulled the lever and said we're going there. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it have been maybe preferable to play in nine centers? You Montreal and Toronto are starting to get their COVID situations under control. I think that leaves the door open that you could spread the teams out, you could have flights controlled, and that you could actually get an eight-game, six-game, whatever length of season they ultimately can figure out to have teams play in their home parks. And then you could have the Braley ask 5,000 people at $50 a ticket. Mm -hmm. The question is, which 5,000 get to go? Well, that, that's, that's a very big question. Um, you and I have discussed this before. Potentially, we have a, uh, a draw lottery. Um, you know, how, how do you determine out of all your season ticket base who's going to get that, as well as your sponsors? Who gets those positions? Um, it would be interesting. I would venture to say what I would see still is for the regular season, I think you may still see a, a hub. I don't mind the idea of two hubs in East and West, as you talked about, where you're playing interlocking games with East and West and the champions come across. Um, That's not really interlocking. Interlocking is when the East plays the West. True, but I'm talking interlocking West to West and East to East. Sorry, that was my... Interdivision then. Or... <laughs> That's okay. My faux pas. You know, I, I don't mind that option and then see where things are as playoffs come around and determine whether or not playoffs could potentially be held in the host city with 
potential for some fans to see the games. Well, the other thing you could do, and, and this is an idea I'd like to toss out, is we'll, we'll use Regina just for sake of argument. I think the Riders have about 20,000 season tickets sold or something like that. Four home dates, you could rotate the 5,000 through. Everybody gets a game. The only other issue potentially that I would see with the travel is, is I mean, we're at this point, I think we're looking at reduced time between games and, and probably there'll be limited in the number of teams that would have buys. So the players are going to be playing more often quicker. And when you add travel to that, that could potentially impact their physical well-being as well. So, I mean, it, the buy, the buy, another reason potentially. Sorry to interrupt. The buys are not an issue at all. If you play a six-game schedule, it's going to take you seven or eight weeks, depending on how you do it. It's it's like the the way the CFL season is now. It's based on third, six, one to six, six, seven to twelve, and then thirteen to eighteen. That's sort of how the coaches think of it, and the yep. schedulers I think think of it the same way. So in a in a six week schedule, there's going to be one weekend where three teams are going to be off, and then the rest of the time somebody's going to be off. So it's going to take you seven weeks. Everyone's going to get a bye. Mm-hmm. In an eight game schedule, it's a little easier because you can just rotate through, and everybody gets one week off. And the, it would probably be a little more difficult for the East because they are, the even number of teams, they would probably have to all go off on one weekend or something. The buy isn't the issue. But the reduced time between games certainly is. I mean, that's what part of the CFLPA memo had identified. So I, I'm thinking with that reduced time between games, it's not what was in the CBA initially. So now that it is going to be something that factors in, if teams have to travel back and forth on top of that. So think of a BC out to Montreal or vice versa. But we're, we're not going to Montreal. BC, is, as far east as they go, is Winnipeg. That's True. it. They're, not, they're it, not going to the east unless it's a playoff game. Have, have the CFL and CFLPA decided that they're going to do that already, interdivisional only? The CFLPA, I don't think, has much to say about that. Scheduling is completely the prerogative of the CFL. The length of schedule, yes. The distance, the time between games, as you indicated, yes, they totally have something because that's workplace conditions. Mm-hmm. But the, if BC doesn't have to go to Montreal, they don't have to worry about that flight. And I can't see the CFL doing a round robin under those circumstances. I think the West is going to stay in the West, the East is going to stay in the East, and after that, then they'll meet. And I guess that 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 remains to be seen. Like Don, I guess my question was: Is that even on the table? to do the east versus east and west west at this point my understanding is it's it's still the hub model with all the teams is the primary factor but you've got ownership Braley. Mm-hmm. i'll just use him as the example because we talked about him last episode yeah he wants his team playing in his park you can't tell me that there aren't eight other owners that go hmm that'd be a nice idea well, I mean, not only owners, but how about mayors and city councils? And I mean, the CFL brings a lot of money in. We've mentioned that before, right? So, I kind of think that the CFL is still mulling over the idea that everybody gets home dates, at least three or four. And that would ameliorate the losses somewhat. It's not going to do enough to keep them from losing money, but at least it would be less of a dent than it would be without a season or in a hub model. Mm-hmm. How do you in a hub model, let's say in Winnipeg, if people get to go to the game, who gets to divvy at the, is it 50-50 between the two teams that play at that moment? If 5,000 people make it into the stadium, do you, how do you, how do you apportion the money? 
even that, I mean, will will you be able to get 5,000 people into all the games? I, I would hope so. I would hope there'd be enough interest in the CFL to do something like that. However, some people would be risk averse and say, I'm only going to Winnipeg's games if you live in Winnipeg. There, you know, how many people are going to travel from Saskatchewan over to see the Riders play? I, I don't see the numbers being inordinately high. I guess it depends on the ability to get tickets again. How do you do that? It's it's this massive juggling of numbers and just simply mathematically you have travel costs go up if you play in your own home park you have hotel costs go up if you play in a hub so you've got a way which is going to cost you more then you don't have a revenue stream in the hub that you would in your own home park so i think that's going to be another thing that's going to push the teams to play in their home stadium i i still think that that's in the offing and a possibility. The shortened work week is curious because I think they're looking possibly at a six-game schedule that is very condensed. And if they do it that way over X number of weeks, starting in October, say, the CFL is probably coming back and saying, we're trying to cut down the amount of time you're isolated. And so here's one way that we can do this. In the long run, it's going to be a shortened season and you're going to be out of it quicker. Which, which again takes us back to the idea we started with. Um, you know, if you're prorating the salaries and you're pushing things together, and it's going to be harder on your body and and mental. I mean, what again? What kind of remuneration do the players receive for that extra hardship that they may be willing to endure to make the season go? Do they still get you know six weeks pay? That's it. If you set baseline, you get six, and then if we do as the CFL shorten the timeline between games. Yep. And- Maybe it doesn't happen every week. Maybe once in the tour, you have to play a short porch where you play Friday, you play Wednesday, and you play Saturday. And, and we've seen that type of thing happen before, right, with the CFL. So, yeah, there's definitely precedent for that type of situation happening. So it will be interesting, Don, to see, uh, you know, how much can get negotiated and, and discussed between all parties before this July 23rd date. Beyond hubs and the whole idea of can we play in our own parks, it's another question that we could discuss, six versus eight games. Do you want to go with a six-game schedule, which would be a third of the normal 18, or do you want to go with eight and try to make it work that way? My preference would probably be at this point for six, depending on when the league can get going. I mean, uh, if September, you know, right after the long weekend we're playing, I think eight would be ideal, but I, I'm not sure that that's doable, given that the CFL is also discussing how many teams will enter into the playoffs, the traditional six teams going into playoffs, or at this point, uh, bringing eight teams into the playoffs after a truncated season is what I'm to- told is, is on the table for discussion. I think if you're going with a six-game schedule, you probably have to do an eight and playoff. So that would be one versus eight and two, seven, three, six, four, five, yeah. So that would mean you'd have to have, everybody would have to have two wins to get to the Grey Cup. Right, which gives you three more weeks to play on top of your other ones. And at that point, I think you're probably looking then at a six-game leap. If you account for buys, you're going to have to be at at least 10 weeks to get this done trickier thing is how do you schedule the west because if you keep the east separate and they play within their own division they can play 
three times against their own rivals, or twice, I should say, twice, I should say, against their own rivals. And then, but in the West, you've got four teams that you have to play. You can't play them one and a half times. So you've got to come up with a way to make it work. And it's not that difficult. Some uh, One of the teams is going to play twice, another team, you know, it just it's going to be a little bit confusing. But The other issue when you go there, if you're to go east versus east and west versus west, then what do you do with teams that are tied with the same same record? Who who gets placed higher in the playoffs at that point then? It comes down to a couple of factors. Hub versus each team playing in their own stadium. If you're in the hub, they'll probably round robin it. So team with, if they're tied for last place or whatever spot in the standings, they would probably go to wins against that team and then that would be it. If there's a tie in that game, then they'd have to go to points for and against overall and all that sort of fun stuff that they do until if all those situations happen, then it's a tiebreaker, you flip a coin. The more difficult question is, what if they do play in their own stadiums, the East stays within the East, the West stays within the West? Do you look at a situation of a crossover where if the fifth place team in the West is better than the fourth in the East, they get that playoff spot? What if they wind up tied? Do you use the same crossover rules where you have to be better than the team in the other division if you're going to take their spot. So you could see just the fifth place team in the West get eliminated under that circumstances. How do you determine which team goes to the playoffs? I mean, all those things are probably part of negotiations as well too, right? How, how do you determine who, which of the nine teams is left out? It would be interesting. I mean, record certainly is where you want to go, right? But if records are the same and, and they're, they're in opposing divisions, that would be interesting. At best, a, a last place team, ninth overall, would be one and five. Or, or zero and six, yeah. But yeah, one and. And you're, asking the, uh, and you're asking the odds, what are the odds of somebody else going an 0 for or a 1 for? Yeah, well. I don't know. Statistically significant, but not probable. Yeah, I'm just thinking of the East and a home-and-home. Home. I mean, they both have to split a home-and-home and, home and lose all the other games, right? <laughs> the West might be more probable. Yes. To have a 1-5 and five record. Especially in a shortened season, the, the chance of you getting run off the field quickly happens. Mm -hmm. We've seen it with the Eskimos the last few years under Jason Moss. They seem to have a great start, and then for a, a period, they went into doldrums and lost five, six games in a row well you can't afford that in this sort of scenario because no. if you do you're gone when coaches talk about starting fast in a six game schedule that's it you better start fast and continue to play all the way through like you said if, if you if you give up a, a couple games because of coaching decisions they matter more in a short and truncated season rookie mistakes anything any sort of fat bounces anything that can uh, impact your ability to win will be magnified in a shortened season mm -hmm. okay so we get through the six game schedule we know that we've got our one through eight set up mm -hmm. now do you stay in the hub or do you move back to your home parks to get some revenue for the playoffs my hope would be that that uh, at that point depending upon where the virus is and where the different health authorities stand uh, i would love to see that move back to the home 
team. I mean, there does have to be some sort of, or I guess there doesn't have to be, but I would like there to be some sort of, um, you know, reward for, for finishing high and being able to host those games then, right? Otherwise, it, it truly, I mean, if you're playing all the games in one stadium, it, it, it's not quite the same excitement that's generated. I mean, certainly I'll be watching on TV, I'll be excited for the games, but not like I would if you were watching it in Winnipeg or Hamilton or Ottawa or BC, wherever the games are taking place. And here's the other thing about the hub model with Winnipeg, if you do decide to keep the playoffs there. Winnipeg gets cold. It's awfully cold. Come end of November, <laughs> it is going to get cold. I think hopefully BC or Toronto, somewhere where you can close the stadium. And get right that would be ideal. If you start the season late, let's say mid-October or early October, or and you run into November and potentially look into playing a Grey Cup in December... You don't want to do that on the prairies. You just don't. You you could get lucky and get a plus five day, but more often than not, it's going to be minus 10 at kickoff and worse as the night goes on. Well, that idea of a, a win and host even becomes difficult, right? So so let's say that the, the team that finishes first gets the host playoffs all the way through, and that happens to be Winnipeg or Saskatchewan. That would be an awful cold game, potentially. I mean, you can get lucky and have a nice day every now and then, too, but... There's also a possibility of a minus thirty game. <laughs> it could be. It could be three games. Yes. Let's say. Let's say the Bombers finish first. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And they get to host the the quarterfinal, the semifinal, and then the final. That could be three cold evening games in a row. They might be snowmen by the time it's all over. Notwithstanding, their opponents have to come in there and play three hours in what could really be brutal weather conditions. Oh, it... I, I don't know if about you, but given the choice between playing in plus 30 or minus 30, I'll take plus 30 any day. I, absolutely. Or, or, you know, even when you get into late November and December, the choice between playing in an indoor and outdoor stadium, the indoor stadium, I think, gives the teams the best opportunity to showcase their talents and I, I would agree. My problem is, why are we playing sports that require indoor stadiums when they're outdoor sports? I think we should be doing this. COVID has, yes, it has. screwed it for this year. But going forward, why are we playing that we need an indoor stadium? We should be finishing up when it's warm enough that not only players are comfortable, but the people in the seats are comfortable. Absolutely. If you, and and you, know, you move the season forward to April, when it's nice enough to be playing outside, you could certainly finish your league much earlier and play when football's meant to be played outside. If I have any say in this, Grey Cup Sunday should be the first Sunday in November. Then odds of getting a really miserable weather day may be snowy, but it ain't going to be that cold. No, you're not likely to get to minus 30 plus with wind chill. <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but it's not as likely. So if you go to eight game schedule haven't broached that enough in this podcast, but if you go to an eight-game schedule, again, your timelines expand, takes longer to play that schedule, and you have two options. You could play a round-robin, makes it very simple, or yeah. if the East stays within the East and the West stays within the West, again, the scheduling becomes quite easy. Yeah, the round-robin would, would then allow that. The problem we talked about is two teams are tied and they're playing divisional play. With the round-robin, at least you'd know who is your top team. You could use the point for and against, it would be more indicative and fair to all teams involved. Probably help you satisfy who doesn't belong mm -hmm. because you would have a matchup 
that would eliminate one team. I don't think the big concern is eliminating one team because I think most likely that becomes self-evidentiary who doesn't belong in a given season for whatever reason. Another option, Don, and I'm just throwing this out there is, you know, so so you decide to play an eight game and you're pushing into this, you know, late November, early December. Do you take the playoffs and move them to a, a place like BC in the West and, and Montreal as an indoor stadium in the East uh, or Toronto? Um, that could be a potential as well, um, particularly if fans are not allowed in the stands at that point. It's a thought. I don't know if you're really solving anything anymore because you're just going to a secondary hub in either case. And if you're going to be in a hub, may as well stay there. If you're going to have a schedule where everybody gets to play in their home parks, then that'll take care of itself. I'm not so convinced that going into a hub and then leaving the hub to play playoff games, unless Mm -hmm. COVID is under control by the time they're into playoffs, I just don't see it. And again, you're getting into cold, cold weather. I don't know if you can play at um, Rogers Center anymore. I don't think the field is configurable to football anymore. So I think now you're looking at BC Place almost exclusively if you want to say we need a warm weather stadium in December. Big O still open? You go to Montreal? I think you probably could, but I think there'd be a lot of work. The question is, is the turf up the standard? Yeah, the turf may not be up there. If I remember correctly, the Montreal Olympic Stadium turf is actually in BC Place. Is that right? There was no more football to be played at the, at the Big O, so and it was a good turf, so hmm. BC took it. Or bought it, or whatever I should say. Oh yeah, makes sense. We'll see. Lots to negotiate in the next two weeks. 15 days from the time that we're recording, so we'll find out. We will. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they're playing. Certainly a a pedal-to-the-metal type of negotiation you have. Ultimately, the CFL is getting to the point where if they're going to do something about a season in in 2020, you have to have a deadline by which everything is in place. And they cannot announce a season and not have the CFLPA on side with them. That, That would just be folly. So the CFL is saying to the PA, we've got to get this done. Here's the date that we have to be done so we can get the rest of this put in order. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. Worth watching.